How do you know that something you care about is a burden given to you from the Lord or it's just a worry that you carry? Now, Nehemiah, it's his parents that were uh, hauled off in slavery to Babylon. And then after uh, about 80 years, they were released in captivity, given permission to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And this is uh, his book <clears throat> begins about 446 B.C., and in 536, uh, almost 90 years before this, Ezra took the first group back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So it's been 70 years since then, at least. <clears throat> and uh, Nehemiah is the son, or maybe even a grandson, of some of the captives who were taken. And here he is, he's in the, uh, uh, in, 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 and he'll tell us. Let's stand, and we'll read verse 1 through verse 4. Chapter 1 of Nehemiah. Are you with me? Um, it says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. We'll talk about this. Let's pray. Father, give us, give us what you'd have us share this day and help our people to understand that most things in life would go so much better if first we would bow and pray and ask the God of the universe, ask you, Father, what your will is for us. And we pray that this might help us to face life differently in 2012. That even though sometimes we can't see all that you are going to do and we are fearful of the future at times, we pray that we might have the confidence that the living God walks with us and that we are on his side and that we are serving him and that nothing can happen to us if he doesn't allow it. So, Father, turn our hearts in times of question and trouble and worry. Turn our hearts to you as you did, Nehemiah's. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. Some people are surprised that grandsons sometimes care about the troubles of their grandfathers. Do you have people like that? Your family, right? Family's close. And in this case, uh, being a grandson in uh, a Jewish family that was hauled away, and I, I'm not sure but what uh, he was part of the group that was taken uh, from Jerusalem itself. And uh, you have all of these memories your ancestors have. Huey likes to tell stories. And he told me that he knows a story of the black cow or something that the, he'll have to restrate me out after this. But he, uh, he, he has a, 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 gen, uh, what, a genetic memory of an old cow his dad used to have. 
And uh, he can talk about that cow as if he were there and just exactly how the cow got away and his dad went after it, shot it with some buckwheat or buckseed. Something, buckshot, buckshot, okay. Maybe shot it with buckwheat, I don't know. But the whole thing is that uh, that cow from that time on stayed. And he would tell that story and all of his older brothers and sisters would laugh because he wasn't there. He just heard his dad tell it so many times he remembers it as really happening. And it was before his time, a genetic memory. Well, here you have the grandson, and he, uh, he may be a slave. He may just be a servant, but he is in the palace. And he is the cup server uh, to the guy in charge. And the whole thing is that's a tricky place to be, you see. You're serving the king, and it's good to be the king. And if you don't like the service a servant has, it isn't just goodbye, I'm getting another one. It's goodbye, <laughs> you know. And if, if you do something, if you're rude, you know, you know how you get sometimes in the morning you get up and you haven't had your coffee yet and, uh, you know, uh, uh, I can't go into too much detail. <laughs> but, but it's just, you just don't feel like responding with a smile and what a wonderful day you know uh, my mom used to wake us up by singing good morning the sky the sun is rising the birds are singing and you're still sleeping wake up wake up you know you know that song you know but uh it would like drive us nuts because we just it's saturday you know why does she want us up because she wants to get breakfast for everybody and get everybody out of the house but I remember that, and sometimes for some people that are night people, uh, day people drive us bananas. We need two cups of coffee and an aspirin, and we can handle the day. You know how that goes. Some people say, good Lord, morning. <laughs> Instead of good morning, Lord, they say, good Lord, morning, right? Now, are you that kind of person? Well, I would have you know that God wants to be involved in your life and he wants to share in those things that bother you and scare you and maybe challenge you that God is, when you trust Christ, he comes to live within you. And if you don't share it with God, then, then it's like you're leaving him out, at least in your own consciousness. Here's Nehemiah. He hears the report from his brother that all those exiles that went to rebuild the temple are in a terrible state. They left some time ago. They've been building that temple, and they've got the temple built by this time. But their, their enemies are all uh, about them, and they're ridiculed, and they're thought of as being in great distress. There's people that can't eat. They don't have food. And it's not at all the grand return that the prophets sort of pictured that it would be, that everybody would come back, and the temple would be rebuilt. Well, the temple's one-third the size of the temple that, uh, that, that was destroyed. And it's not the way everyone thought it would be, but God God has brought them back, as he said, and it could be better, but they're struggling with their own faith there in Jerusalem. And here's Nehemiah. He's half a world away, and it's not his problem. Uh, you see the first uh, Spider-Man movie? How many of you saw that movie? Okay, enough that I can share this illustration. When Spider-Man is bit by a spider, he gains superpowers, right? And then he, he makes this kind of weird-looking costume and stuff. And the first thing he does with this strength, he's going to earn some big bucks, right? And there's this contest that if you can stay in this cage with this monster man that beats people up and stuff, if you can go two minutes in that cave, in that cage and survive it, you get $500. 
I don't, some of you would take that, you know, you'd try that, wouldn't you? But uh, he gets into the cave, and because of his strength and ability, he knocks the guy out. I mean, he just, like, it's 10 seconds, and the guy's dead, right? Not dead, but incapable of fighting. And he goes to get his prize, and the guy gives him 50 bucks. And he said, why? He said, well, you didn't stay in the cage for two minutes. And he said, but I beat the guy. I could have stayed in there all day. He said, but you didn't, and it's not my problem. He gives him 50 bucks, and here's this, you know, young baby Spider-Man, right? Uh, and, uh, and he's upset, and the guy just said, it's not my problem. He gives him the money, and he says, shove off, you know. And as he's starting to walk out the door, another man busts into the door, holds the guy up, and steals all the money. And here's Spidey with the super strength, Right? Standing by the door, and he opens the door for the criminal to get away. And this guy that just was robbed says, you could have stopped him. Why didn't you do something? He said, I failed to see how this is my problem. <laughs> and later on, you know what happens? This guy with the money, the thief, runs out and needs a getaway car and shoots his uncle. It's a tragic tale. But it's an event in the life of young Spidey that it is his problem. How many things bad happen around you? And we sit there and say, well, not my problem, not my family. Not, I don't live there. It's not anything I care about. You read about uh, people that are hungry and, and they're without food, and then someone breaks in and steals their TV set and stuff. And you sit there and say, oh, that's just a terrible place. I'm glad I don't live there. You never think I should help them out, that they don't have food, they need help. And we sometimes think, well, that's someone else will do that. And that is as common in America as, as spitting on the sidewalk, you know? I, okay. I was expecting repentance for spitting. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. Nehemiah hears the news, and suddenly it's his burden. You say, why is that important? Because other people knew it, and it wasn't their problem. But Nehemiah can't let it go. He says, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat for thinking about their need. And you can know that something, if you're a child of God, you can know that something is vitally your issue. Now, if it's your children, it's natural, right, to worry about your children. But how about the very, I mean, next week it's about the right to life Sunday. And there's a lot of Christians that, oh, yeah, I know abortion is a terrible thing and we should do something about it and blah, blah, blah. We have that Sunday every year. Obviously, they don't have the passion. They don't have the concern. It doesn't speak to their heart. And that there's others who would give their whole life to stop this. And what we're talking about is where your heart is and where your passion is. And the real question is, is your passion in the right place? Maybe Nehemiah, this is interrupting his job. This is causing him great grief. He's not getting a lot of sleep. And uh, he says, I sat down and wept, and for days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, then he prayed, and here's the prayer that he prayed. O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant 
is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Now, I don't start out my prayers with all of that, right? But I love the idea that we recognize in our prayers who it is we're praying to. I think sometimes we are so careless in our prayers. But I need to go talk to the man upstairs, you'll hear somebody say. And already you got one strike. You're not bowing in your heart in reverence to the great and the awesome and the mighty God, the creator of heavens and earth, the one who has every right to tell us, command us. And uh, so we say, well, God, now, you know, I need this month. I need I need food, I need gas for my car, and my kids, I w could you give them a little blessing this week? And, and it's like we go to God and we expect him to be Santa Claus. And we give him our wish list. And then if it doesn't happen, well, maybe he wasn't on his list, or maybe there's not a real God or a real Santa. You ever done that? Treat God as if he were just a source of your blessings, and he's at your beck and call. You pray for Nice sunny skies when you're going on your picnic. We all do that. It's kind of the human nature. And I've heard people talk to God and say, God, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, you know it's been raining down here. And we have a problem. And you may not be aware of how sinful everyone is around us and all the bad things. You're not telling God anything that he doesn't already know. But prayer, the reason that we have prayer is that God has given us opportunity to walk with him and talk with him and communicate to him our heart, our problems, and with the idea that he can share with you his heart and the things that concern him on this earth. It's a two-way street. Would your wife or husband love conversation if it's always them telling you don't they want to know what you think? Wouldn't it be nice if you would tell them? Men, I'm talking to you. <laughs> you know, what if you initiated the conversation and said, you know, I've been thinking. You we really, you know. <laughs> What's that? You just faint. <laughs> oh, if they, if, if they even said they thought you would yeah. faint. Okay, this is not ladies' time here. <laughs> My point is, that, first of all, Nehemiah felt the burden. He had a passion about it. He couldn't just hear it and let it go. And some people say, you know, I don't know what God wants me to do. But I would say, first look at your passions. Look at what bothers you when it's not happening the right way. Look at what you think about. Uh, we have some amazing ministries started in our church that I've noticed not every church has. One of them being Center Shot. Center Shot, teach kids to shoot bow and arrows. And always I'm thinking, at each other. <laughs> and uh, I have very little passion. I got a bow. I got several bows now. I just like collecting the bows. I don't know how to shoot them, but I like collecting the bows. And I've taken some of the center shot course, and uh, the kids all laugh at me. I feel ashamed of it. But uh, who was it? One of the kids that come into our church now just said, you're not very good at this, are you? <laughs> I mean, I'm standing five yards from a target, right? And I can't hit the target. 
And everybody's telling you, you do this, you do that, and going right down the list. Nobody's watching whether I'm really putting the arrow on the knock or something on the bow. And I don't care what, I hold my breath, I do everything they say do, stretch my arm, just so it turns sideways and face everything. And Doc, he can see immediately what's wrong or something, but he wasn't the one helping me. All these other teachers are helping me. And uh, the kid next to me, he's breaking the balloons. Hey, I got that one. Oh, there's another one. Bang, he gets it. Aren't you going to shoot one? I'm trying. I'm trying. Just wait a minute, you know. And they're laughing at me. Bow and arrow is not my passion. I love being with the kids, but I have a tendency to rile the kids up. Because I love fun and games. I love disorder and chaos. And uh, that's why I'm in charge of recreation in Bible school. But uh, I tend to cause myself more grief <laughs> than I do uh, anything else. But I want you to know Nehemiah's passion was for Jerusalem and God's people. And it burned in his heart. And you're going to have issues like that. That it's, it's an ordinary concern. Extraordinary. Why would this one little baby or this one little project stir you up? I believe that's one way to identify God's calling in your life. God can't use you in a ministry that you don't care about. You see, you have to have a passion. Uh, you have to have a desire to see better in that ministry and believe that you have uh, the willingness for God to take you and use you. And you're going to hear me say this, and I say it all the time, but I believe that every born-again believer, every Christian, has a ministry that God expects you to be part of. Now, some are not in the ministry because they don't know that they have the ability but that's not a problem. If it's fear of your ability, you can be trained. You can find people who do it and work alongside of them until you're confident enough to do it. But also, you may not have a passion for it. What good to be a doctor or a, a, a nurse and not care about people themselves? Oh, yeah, you know, well, uh, you know, my foot hurts. Just, oh, yeah, you're just a hypochondriac. Let's move on here to the real problem. Folks, you have to have a love and concern for people and their needs in some fields, right? Others uh, have a ministry, an organization. Does that make sense? That they know how. They look at this big pile of books and stuff laying everywhere. And I'm sitting there saying, now, I can't find my encyclopedia, you know, or my Webster's Dictionary. I very seldom use that. But the, uh, <laughs> the whole thing, I can't find it. And they sit there and say, well, no wonder you got everything in a mess. If you put these books here and these books here. And they sit there and they tell you. And they line it all out for you. And by the time you're done, they can find any book you mention. It's right there. Of course, you can't find it because you didn't know it and you don't know. But then they put a little thing to help you, a key to finding your book, you know. <laughs> and uh, this is a wonderful thing. People that can do that have a passion. That, that little thing I said about, you know, level that thing, that's not me. That's someone else. But it's the whole point is to some people, if you're going to put it up, put it up straight. Amen. I put it up. <laughs> So moving on, but, but the whole idea is that's a passion and a concern about what a lot of people aren't concerned about. I hang up a picture and I say, look straight to me. <laughs> and that's what happens. Even with a level, that level's wrong. 
I want you to understand, Nehemiah had a passion. But a passion isn't enough. You see, passion has to move on to where you are involved in changing the situation. Now, here's a servant. He waits on uh, the king. He may even be a food taster. He might be someone who delivers his morning coffee. And uh, it could be that a lot of servants, the king never learned his name. But apparently, this cupbearer to the king uh, was pretty important to the king. He comes in one day, and, uh, and the king says, hey, you don't look so good. You're not getting enough rest? What's the problem here? And if you read the prayer, he realizes that, that he's talking to God and he confesses that they're in the mess they're in because of their past sins. And he says in verse 7, we've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed your commands. And folks, that's the place to start in talking to God is admit you're not, you don't have any reason why God should answer your prayer. There's nothing good in you that he should do it, but it is the grace of God we get. And that's what we like, isn't it? The grace of God. No one ever gets into heaven because they deserve it. You get to heaven because of God's grace, forgiveness. And so then he, he goes on and he says, remember the instructions you gave Moses if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, now that's what he's getting at in this prayer. You promised that if they would come back to you, uh, that you, and obey his commands, then even if your exiled people are at their farthest horizon, that you would gather them and bring them to the place I've chosen and a dwelling for your name. So he is telling God what he already knows, and he's reaffirming that he knows God said this, and God already knows he said it, but he's reminding him, remember they did evil, and then he said if they would turn back to you, you would bring them from those farthest places, and now you've done that. And then he says, they are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. What kind of prayer should God answer? A prayer that makes you more comfortable? A prayer maybe that uh, fills your pocketbook? I mean, that would be nice if, you know, you know how many people pray that they'll win the lottery? And do you even know the number that if it is ever, if it ever comes up, and someday it will, the 777 number, the lottery system is going to go busted for years because everybody plays that number thinking, well, that's the number of God. That's the number God will bless. God will not bless 777 if you're gambling. <laughs> it is totally out of character for God to, to, uh, for us to take risk and waste the money that the blessings he's given to us to gain more money when we sing and pray to God and we lift him up and say, you are our protector, our source of all good things. And then he gives us good things and we say, well, you know, I could double this. <laughs> something weird about that. Yeah. It says something about your heart. Do you not trust the Lord who created the heavens and the earth, who says he loves you without question, who sent his son to die for you. Do you not trust him to take care of you day by day? 
That daily bread thing. We talk, give us, Lord, our daily bread. But we want cake. We want pie. We want, you know, we want those little dub candy bars. I like that candy bar. <laughs> and we, and God doesn't seem to provide that every day. So, you know, leeks and onions from Egypt. That's what we want. But God gives you food every day. He blesses you and he does it and you sort of take it for granted. And you want more and you want more. And it becomes all about us. Nehemiah says, God, this situation has to be straightened out. You're going to have to do something because these people have returned. They have followed you. They have lifted up your name. And that one phrase there, these servants who delight in revering your name, the idea of, of lifting up the name of God. This is all about you that they're building this temple. And they went there to do it. And they sacrificed. And he's talking about himself too. This is not right. That the temple of God should be rebuilt. That the people who went to do it are suffering. That the neighbors uh, are all uh, over them. And they're under this attack. And under this kind of situation. This is not right for the children of God. Because God you're able to bless better than that. There's a problem here. Now that's a funny thing. When you bring up a people group to God that haven't heard the gospel and you start praying about it and you start saying, God, this isn't right that anybody on this earth does not, has not even had the opportunity to hear about Christ. How can a righteous God allow that to happen? And as you begin to pray that God would send the gospel to them, it can get your heart. And God might say, okay, you're the one I've been waiting for. You have the passion. And you have the hunger. And you're praying that this will be done. And I'm going to ask you to go. Uh, no, wait a minute. You know, I wanted to give money. I mean, I wanted to, to bring it before the WMU and tell them what a terrible situation that is. I want to be your advocate here. And I, you know I could do a much better job here than to go to them. I don't even know the language. I don't have the money for passage. I don't know how I'd live over there. Although there'd be a lot of people that pay my way to leave. You know, you think about this. It takes a lot to go overseas and be a missionary, doesn't it? But here it is. You, it's a dangerous thing, maybe, to pray for the needs of other people. Because God just might grab hold of your heart and say, Okay, you will be my instrument. I want you to know I call this a profile courage. Because Nehemiah didn't say, Not my problem. The minute he heard about it, it was his problem. He was concerned. And if you're really concerned and you pray about it, you want to be part of the solution to it. And so here you are. Nehemiah is going to risk everything. He doesn't know how he's going to do it. This is the king. How do you go and talk to the king and ask him to take care? I mean, you're going to get yourself involved in a bunch of politics here. And you're going to be talking to a king who holds your, your life in his hand. And if he doesn't like it, goodbye. So he prayed. And then the opportunity comes. It doesn't say he started the opportunity. It says in chapter 2, in verse 2, the king asked him, Why does your face look so sad if you're not sick? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. And then he says, I was very much afraid. 
But I said to the king, have you ever been, I was very much afraid, so I said nothing. But he says, in the fear, in the midst of the fear, I said to the king, that takes courage. Courage is not always standing on the battle line, giving the roar, the, you know, beating your shield and threatening the other people, standing right out there. But it's when the arrows start flying, they're coming close and you still fight. That takes courage, doesn't it? To not turn and run, to not get involved. Uh, I mean, to not, uh, to sit there in apathy and do, and do, to, anyway, to get involved takes courage, right? Here's the whole point. He said, I was afraid, but I said, and he lays out the problem. Now, I got to tell you, as you read this, I found so many things that I thought were just, I read this before we had the new building committee meeting, and I said, boy, I got a sermon one now for them, and they didn't hear any of it. They didn't want to hear it. They were busy. We had business to take care of. So I said, they're going to hear it in the congregation. But, but the whole thing that he says here, uh, it's, he says a quick prayer. He said, may the king live forever. Now, that's normal talk for talking to kings. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are burdened lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? What the king says next is significant. What do you want me to do about that? Oh, nothing. I just, that's why I'm saying. He said, well, I'll tell you what I want you to do. He says, it says that when he says, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. I'm sure he didn't pray that first prayer. He said, God, help me. <laughs> right? It's the kind of prayer that Peter prayed when he was sinking below the wells. Now, Lord, Father of all heaven and earth. He said, help me. And that's as much a prayer as the other is. When it's addressed to God. Sometimes all you have time for is God. Here we go. Help me. And it says that uh, he's, he prayed a quick prayer. It doesn't say quick, but I do. And it says, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so I can rebuild it. He didn't know that day he was going to do that. But he knew exactly what he wanted to happen. He gave thought to it ahead of time. He was prepared if the opportunity came up. Are you prepared if the opportunity comes up to do and answer the passion in your heart for the kingdom of God? Are you ready to do it? Because if you're not ready, it doesn't matter how many times it comes up, you're not going to answer. Do you have the courage to step out, the courage to ask the question, the courage to tell the news? It's a scary thing to think that what you got in you is calling you away. Anyone ever started a business? Is there any struggle in that? So many times employers are, are thinking, I could do better than this. We could do better if I was in charge here. And then they get the opportunity. Oh, I don't know. It's too much of a risk. Yeah. But here's the point. He was ready. And then the king, it says in chapter 2, verse 6, with the queen sitting beside him, ask me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? <laughs> well, isn't that a little head to ask him all these things? But he is prepared. He says, it pleased the king to send me, so I set the time. 
No, so I said, you know, we ought to do this. And they said, well, when do you want to do it? Well, I don't know when I want to do it. I just thought it was a good idea. You're gonna, we're going to actually do this thing? Well, then we'll have to look at the calendar. I'll have to talk to the, you know, the powers that be around me and the schedule on the calendar. They, when are you going to do this? When is the time to do your ministry? When God calls. Begin. And he knew exactly what he wanted to do. So he says, I set the time. If it pleases the king, may I have letters? He already wants letters to the other governors. He wants the king to supply money. And uh, he says, and because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. When it was all over, he could have walked out of there and said, boy, I handled that well. I am the man. But he didn't do that. It was a gift from God. The opportunity to work in the service of God. To do ministry with the children. Right? To, to, to be supportive in the WMU and to pray, call the people to prayer for the needs on the mission field. To go on a prayer walk somewhere on behalf of God to support missionaries and to show, uh, to show God that you're concerned and to do something about instead of just saying, well, I think this might be a good idea. To make the forward steps and take the risk. All of that is pleasing to God. And, and we can't pat ourselves on the back. Well, look at this. I made the decision and I brought myself to this place. If you're there in any place, you're there because God puts you there. You can thank God that he is a gracious God. And I think we need to remember that. It takes courage to start out. But it really takes confidence that God is in this thing. Most important place to begin is start with God. Saying, here's my burden. Here's what's happened. What is your will in this? And keep praying till you know the will of God. And then after that, don't hesitate to do what God instructs you to do. It takes courage, but it's well worth it. We have a center shot program. And I'm not the courageous leader. But I support it. And I would back Doc up. And I've seen it change lives. And I got to tell you, Hook for Life is much the same. It's a fishing ministry. Now, I like fishing. I don't necessarily like to take a bunch of boys and girls with me. But I do love boys and girls. And they need to hear the gospel. And I support Mike Tussie and his leadership of this. And I think it's a grand thing. He has a passion for it. And he needs a direction. And he needs other people who have a passion to reach it. And it's all about, is this your concern? Is this what you want to see happen? And when we talk about the new building, that building isn't going to be built just because we say, oh, Lord, we want you to build that building. Poof, it's built. It's going to take hard work. It's a long project. Uh, I ask every, well, every year at least I've asked them, do you want off the building committee? Anybody want off? You know, because if you want off, I understand it's a long and difficult progress uh, process and you won't see progress every time. And there's a lot of things to face and a lot of things that have to be done. We've gone through an awful lot already. How much have we spent? $200,000. And what we've got is a lot that's ready to be built upon in the best location we could, God could possibly put us. And we don't have one block laid. 
And there's so much that has to be accomplished. But the real question is not what have we accomplished. What has God done is the real question. And he's done all of this and we never thought we could do all of this. And God has done that. And so is this still God's size project? Is it still something only God can do? Absolutely. Even if you got the grant, my word, I've never handled that much money in my life, and I won't get to handle this. I know that. But the, <laughs> the whole thing, the whole thing is it boggles my mind that there are people who would just give that money away. You know, but to them it's just business. To them it's just what it's their passion, and they do it wisely and the rest. And and God can use any number of people. He might even use you to give so much that you just couldn't believe you could do it. What if you just ask God today, God, I believe we need a new building. I believe that we need to reach the people in our community. We need more boys and girls. We need preschoolers. We need to be able to provide for them. We need facilities where senior adults won't struggle and they can't go down into the basement. These stairs will kill us. We've had more hip operation in our church because of those stairs, I think. Don't sue us. But it's just, it's just hard, and it hurts. But I want you to understand, we're planning in the new building. We think that God would have us play, build a place that everyone can come to. Wouldn't be hindered or stopped because of the, the parking lot or anything else. You could be dropped off in front of the door. But I believe it's the location is right. Doc and I were dreaming the other day. What could happen if we were in that building? Why, well, we could have fifth quarters. You know what a fifth quarter is? You have four quarters in a football game, and they could have a fifth quarter party up at the church, and we could play the games with the youth, and we could share Jesus Christ in the fifth quarter. We could have forward basketball. We would use their gymnasiums, but then they could come in and meet, and we could rent the gymnasiums or something, or we could build a gymnasium down the road. But the location is absolutely right for so many ministries, and one of the ministries, Latchkey Children. Do you know how many children in our county go home to an empty house because it's such that the parents, the economy is such that parents both have to work. And so you got third graders, fourth graders getting off the bus and going home and grabbing something, sticking it in the microwave. Hopefully it's something edible, right? But, but the whole point is they take care of themselves and they're at risk. What are they doing with their time? You know they're all going home and doing homework, don't you? Yeah. Oh, man, I can't wait to get home and finish all these problems. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they're spending their time in video games, which is not all that bad. At least they're safe inside with video games. Well, some of them are not staying home. Some of them are hanging around outside. They're doing things with other kids and not good kids. And that's, folks, it's the times we live in, but a church can provide a safe place. And we could also share with them Bible school lessons and, and all the excitement that we have in Bible school we could have after school with the kids. We could minister to people who never gave a thought to the church, but they need the ministry that we could provide. Folks, I have a passion for ministry. I have a passion for reaching Christ. I'm sh you share that passion. You want to see lives changed. And the question is, will you be involved? First of all, we'd be involved in paying for the new building and helping us raise the money and giving confidence to others. Will you be involved in reaching folks for Christ? Will you tell them about the great project God has doing among us and we get to be part of it and we'll get to see this thing and I hope we get to see it, right? But the whole thing is that in your lifetime, that should be built. If we, if we proceed as we should, we should see that built in one or two years. 
and God-sized project done right in front of your eyes. And wouldn't it be better? How many of you ever had to push a wheelbarrow full of bricks? You got experience. Good. Write these names down. But more than that, when somebody asks you what you were doing, you're probably saying, well, I'm pushing a wheelbarrow full of bricks. In this case, if you do that, you'll be able to say, I'm building a work of God. I'm building a house of God. I'm part of the project. I thought about our little children and how they love to be part of something. They're not big. They're just little. And they can't give hundreds of dollars, but you'd be surprised. But what if we made little banks that had like the building in it and we challenged the kids, this is your building because you're the ones that are going to enjoy the building, not most of us old people. We'll have good funerals over there, <laughs> you know. But it's for the next generation. Well, some of you are young enough that bothers you, but us old people say, well, we'd like to have good funerals. Oh. I'm sorry for that. But I want you to understand. <laughs> I, I do want you to understand that Nehemiah was the answer. And he would not have thought so when he heard the news. Mm -hmm. He wanted to pray about it. It bothered him. He couldn't let it go. He had to do something. And God gave him opportunity to be the leader of it. There's so much more in the book of Nehemiah that I don't have time to share. But I want you to read it if you get the chance. Just read how it happened. Because he got to go, and he rode, he didn't even talk to the leaders of the area. He went out at, at nighttime and rode around and looked at all the damage. He assessed what had to be done, and if you were to heard about all the damage, you sit there and say, how, how could they ever repair all this? And then he came back and he told them the news, and the leaders, because of his confident leadership, because of where he came from, this cupbearer for the king, now has a congregation that is willing to work. Folks, you never know when you start with the burden and you realize the will of God, you never know where you're going to wind up. Some of you might be teaching English in China and winning people in China to Christ. Don't know. I don't know. But God knows. Are you willing? Are you willing to be courageous? And when you hear something that, that really upsets you, are you willing to bring it before the living God and pray about it until you get an answer about it? Maybe you have a skill set that no one else has. We need people like that because we have people all around us have skill sets. I, I don't know how many people need to learn how to check the ice at Houghton Lake. But some of you know how to do it. But what a good skill set that is for Hook for Life people. Protect all the little kids going ice fishing, you know? Know how to protect them. You may have a skill set that has simply to do with writing cards or talking to people or sharing a poem. And if you can do that sort of thing, there's all sorts of openings, if you care enough, to allow the living God to work through you, to call you to this position. It can happen in your life. Don't sit around saying, well, I got nothing to do. Believe me. God has a world of things for us to do if we will just say, I care, Father. I want to be part of it. How can you use me? Might be head of the project. Better watch it. Let's pray. Father, do you really have a plan for each of our lives? Have you given us gifts so that we could be used in your service? And Father, why, if that's true, if every believer has that, the Holy Spirit in them, then why isn't every believer involved in the ministries? 
We ask, Father, that you might stir our passions, that, Father, we might learn what we love and learn how you've gifted us and that we might seek that place where we can do the work no one else can do in the kingdom and where we can bring people to meet Jesus Christ. Lord, whatever it is in each of these lives, we ask you to speak to their heart. Don't lay on them concerns. Lay burdens on their heart and help them to be sensitive enough to say yes to you and your leadership. In Jesus' name, amen.